Yeah, what's up, Star Mindsets people? Uh, episode got disconnect. Um, put it right here. <laughs> we're doing episode thirty here. Um, we're talking about how to build teams and and create good t- uh, culture and talent. Today we're talking to Derek Geladon. I hope I said that right. Geladon. Geladon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Um, and he is the uh, director slash head of talent at Curology. Recently, Curology was uh, ranked number four in like best startups to work according to Forbes, and and they're growing at a great rate. But yeah, uh, additional info on Derek. He's an SF native. Went to SHC. Uh, went to UC Merced. Uh, worked at a bunch of great companies like Lyft, Google, the Warriors, and uh, I'm sure many more. Um, but Derek, what's up? Happy to have you here, man. Great hat. Well, first, you know, um, really excited to, to spend time with you all today. Um, love kind of, you know, um, helping share my journey and, and hoping, you know, can help someone else out there with some of the problems or challenges that they're going through uh, or, or about to encounter in their careers. Um, I certainly, you know, would have loved, you know, some of the lessons that, that <laughs> you know, communicated to me a little earlier in my career. But um, I think that's, you know, uh, what we can do to, to help each other out is, you know, offer up that insight and, and help, you know, kind of future generations continue to, to start at a higher level than, than we came in at. And so, um, yeah, um, to kind of reiterate on what you said, um, I'm currently the head of talent at Curology Inc. Uh, I've been here uh, with Curology for uh, a little over uh, one and a half years now. Um, started with the company when uh, we were about 200 employees across um, four states. Uh, now, uh, you know, we've grown to over 800 employees uh, uh, operating with offices in, in, in you know, three to f- uh, three states, but um, the services provided across the country um, to, I think, 70% uh, of U.S. states today. Um, wow. Spent the vast majority of my career um, in you know technical recruiting, but the last five or six years, more specifically focused on you know leading talent organizations, uh, both for you know tech and uh, and different business verticals, um, and you know I, I would say um, you know something about me is. Uh, even before I got my career started, um, I got exposed to uh, a real startup environment and going to a brand new university, UC Merced, yeah. part yeah, of the inaugural yeah. class there. And so, um, you know, building from scratch um, and, you know, collaborating with uh, a lot of people to create a culture and environment was kind of, I would say, like in my bones. So by the time I had started working <laughs> talent, I found myself moving to smaller and smaller companies where I could see more impact early on. And, um, and yeah, I've loved, you know, all my experiences, um, you know, at at many startup companies I've been with, um, definitely had, I would say, you know, some failures along the way, right. But failures from, um, smaller startups that, that didn't, you know, pan out or, uh, made, you know, kind of, uh, maybe not super graceful exits, but I've also had, you know, my share of successes at companies, uh, you know, like Instacart, Curology is obviously doing, you know, really well, right. And, and earlier on in my career, you know, kind of learning at, you know, some of the more well-established brands like Google and, and, and Twitter uh, to kind wow. of, you know, set a strong foundation for, um, for understanding everything <laughs> and recruiting related. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I like how you brought up that uh, part of like UC Merced and I went to UC Riverside. So, I mean, we, we, we always got the butt of uh, the UC jokes. But I mean, that's that's super interesting how like, uh, you know, you talked about coming from UC Merced and just being part of something from the beginning to, 
you know, um, and then, you know, various points in your career, you know, with uh, big companies. And, and I mean, at the time, Google wasn't ex exactly, uh, what do you call it? Like a conglomerate, right? Like it was, and then they were, I mean, you know, tech, or maybe. <laughs> tech wasn't what it was today, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it was, it was still a large company for sure. Um, but uh, a lot of the things that Google was doing at the time, let's, you know, like throw free lunches, for example, things like that, right? You know, we're, we're really game changing. And, and, and I think yeah. forward a few years, a lot of the, you know, newer age startup companies are adopting these, you know, uh, these different types of perks, programs and benefits for employees to compete, right? Uh, you know, on, on a scale that that's really focused on kind of like, the employee having their ideal environment with the understanding that your personal life and work are are are, are really kind of like intertwined when you yeah. work at a startup because you know it requires a lot of, yeah. hours, a, lot of emotion, <laughs> a lot of you know um, commitment and so um you know people want to feel you know really invested in that and so uh, in order to do that you know these companies are really thinking about how to how do we create an environment that someone can can really like live and breathe our you know our, our work as part of you know core facet of their life not not everything about it but you know as as a core part that they can be proud of and so you know a lot of these companies started catching up with regards to how do we create that environment and you know i think we're seeing yeah that, right yeah I, I read in read in a book that uh, i guess the book was brotopia by emily chang and she was saying how you know facebook saw google doing the free food and unlimited food and free lunches and brought bus rides to work. Let's do it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody's just picking the parts of, uh, I guess what they like and then making work more appealing and less seem like work. And I, right now with the pandemic, um, work is done from home and mm -hmm. home is the same thing as work essentially without an office. So it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. Um, that I don't think would have been perceivable back then. And, and, uh, yeah, I guess to kick things off a little bit um, better would or a bit more officially, uh, yeah, just you know, would love to hear uh, about what Curology is, and uh, for people who maybe are unfamiliar with it, and uh, what, what the company does, and you know, products and things, cool things about that. Yeah, uh, so um, you know, uh, Curology started out as uh, a company called Pocket Derm, right? And um, you know, after kind of you know learning more about its 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 customers uh, and kind of you know redefining its mission, um, rebranded as Curology Inc. And uh, Curology's mission is to make uh, skincare affordable and accessible for everyone, right? And I would say if you took kind of a similar um, approach to you know um, to, to Apple with regards to like Steve Jobs' vision to have a, you know a phone or a computer in, in everyone's pocket, right? Um, Curology's you know mission would be you know to have you know their formula in everyone's bathroom, right? And so um, oh. Curology <laughs> started with uh, a focus on anti-acne products and has since then kind of uh, expanded the different types of skin conditions that they they treat and uh, and help create you know kind of uh, maintenance plans for um, just recently Curology launched a brand new um, sub-brand called uh, Agency Skincare, which is much more focused on anti-aging type products, um, which has a little bit of overlap in, I would say, the, the beauty and cosmetic space. Uh, but Curology itself, uh, I would say, uh, plays uh, in a shared space with direct-to-consumer uh, direct health, as well as telepharmacy. Um, 
Gotcha. What do you think makes uh, Curology a startup other than, I mean, other than just being a skincare company? Is it like approaches to getting things done or new technology that is uh, not, you know, not used by everyone else? Like what makes the tech aspect or what makes it defined as a startup in your opinion? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, when I think about startups, I think about like, how do you begin to solve a problem that, you know, that hasn't really been, you know, well, either well defined or um, that there hasn't been a lot of traction against or yet. Right. And I would say, you know, for Curology, that problem was, okay, how do you scale customized skincare with all of the moving pieces of having to be compliant with, right? Like uh, with pharmacy regulations, right? With uh, HIPAA for, you know, um, for medical practice, right? Um, And so, you know, while we see companies who could provide, I would say, prescription products um, that are generic, right? We haven't really seen so many of them, you know, develop a scalable model for how to do it with customized prescription products. And so one distinct factor of of Curology is that, you know, for everyone that, you know, signs up, uh, you know, with Curology, right? Let's, let's say, for example, you wanted to uh, uh, treat acne for yourself, right? Um, You would get connected to a medical provider. That would be your person. Think of, you know, maybe having like a a relationship with your barber, right? Someone that knows your exact hairstyle that you go to, you feel comfortable (laughs) They start to learn you over time and they could even recommend other products. Oh, you know, you're, you, this is the type of hair you have. So these are the products that could work for you. And this is mm. what our skincare providers who are licensed dermatologists, nurse practitioners, or physician assistants, this is what they do for our patients, right? Wow. And so um, starting with kind of like the anti-acne formula, which we have a base formula um, and there's typically three active ingredients in there. Um, okay. <laughs> after the first, you know, kind of, you know, month or so of you testing out the formula, you and that provider are talking about, you know, your skin's reaction to it, the your, your maintenance plan, how that's working. And the formula itself, right, uh, can be, you know, uh, can be customized uh, percentage-wise with regards to the, the active ingredients to suit your exact needs. Oh, I'm you know I'm getting rashes here, or I'm getting a little dry skin here. Okay, we can adjust this portion, right? And then so what starts out as you know something that's right like uh, a little bit more you know kind of like a, 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 a I would say like a baseline formula starts yeah. to actually become you know something that's molded exactly for you, right? And and then that's when you start wow. to really see the results, right? Um, do you, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just to get into that, do you have to be a teenager for Curology to be um, you can be a user be, of Curology, um, or could I be fifty years old? And does it work you for can that? Be, age? You can be any age, but um, you're not allowed to sign up for Curology's products uh, on, if you're under eighteen without the consent of uh, you know a legal guardian or a parent, right? Uh, because of the prescription nature of some of the products. Gotcha. Wow. Uh, one more question here. So just tell us a little bit about what right. do you do as the director of uh, talent? Yeah, I mean, just my, coming from my perspective, is that like a role where you hire a bunch of people? Or is it like you just oversee the whole hiring process and try to make things get implemented smoothly? We, we haven't really looked into what directors of talent do, and it'd be great to learn about it. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, I think, you know, uh, the idea of head of talent could be 
you know, the, the scope of that role can be very different depending on the size and scale of the company, right? There uh, are some companies where the, the director or head of talent could be someone overseeing all of the talent operations uh, and talent acquisition, right? As well as personally doing a lot of the recruiting themselves, right? And, and managing kind of all the different streams that go into finding great people and, um, and you know, getting uh-huh. them to join the company, right? Uh, and then um, as the company scales, right, um, the, the role becomes much more, uh, I would say, aligned with how to define strategy, how to, you know, communicate the employer and talent brand of the company, yeah. right? How to make sure that, you know, we can communicate the unique challenges that, that we're solving, right? To, to make Curology a desirable place to work. Wow. Right. And, and to, <laughs> to make sure that, you know, our team, right, can ultimately like deliver the, the right people, you know, based on, right, alignment with our values and the skills and abilities that we need to, you know, uh, to grow, develop our product and, and obviously like add to our culture. Right. Uh, so, the, so the company can, can evolve in the way we'd like it to. Wow, man, that sounds super interesting. Just uh, me, I've only, I've never worked in recruiting, but uh, just, I guess, having been the applicant and not really knew what ha- knowing what happens like behind the scenes, it's, <laughs> it's, it's super interesting. Um, I think to get into a little bit more detail on hiring, like, I'm sure you've worked uh, as, you know, the technical recruiting manager and then also as like the, just a regular recruiting coordinator and it's just different functions um you know i've been really fortunate in my career to have held almost every type of role in um in talent and so um i've done everything from schedule your interviews <laughs> to find you know to to initiate the the first yeah. call to closing and managing the the department of people that you know do that for many different disciplines right uh, and define the strategy in terms of like how we would like to recruit and uh you know where that talent is and how we want to you know uh, engage with that talent and so um think of um you know think of uh, I, I would say think of recruiting or talent acquisition as one third of an employee's life uh-huh. cycle at a company right and so it's like the attraction of the employee engagement and bringing them to to the company yeah. right so that's where, where we come into play then um other people operations functions will typically you know take over for like onboarding that employee mm-hmm. setting them up for success and helping them grow and develop right and so that's kind of like the middle journey right and then um, we also have a, you know, a segment of, uh, you know, business partners that, you know, help them to either, right, like make a transition to other roles uh, or, you know, maybe even transition out of the company if, you know, they're, they're starting to, you know, um, you know uh, look for, you know, different ways to, to, to grow <laughs> yeah. or challenge themselves or, you know, have outgrown a role, right? Um, or, or the company may have outgrown their skill set. So um, if you look at kind of like that, that cycle, you know, we're driving that initiation of the cycle, which is, you know, how to attract, engage, and ultimately bring that talent to, to the company. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, hiring, hiring in the Bay Area is a lot different from hiring in other places, right? Super tough. Super tough. Uh, yeah. Um, Bay Area is considered the, market. the most competitive market for talent. And, the, yep. and, and the, I've, okay, I think Earl's got, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> But uh, but uh, let's see what I was gonna say. I, I mean, I overheard it. Uh, like I guess just in other conversations, like people saying, you know, 
the analogy of uh, uh, I guess they, they were talking about venture capital being the Olympics of business. I also think that the same can be said of getting a job in tech here, just saying that it's the playoffs of business. Like it's not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you would know more than me, but it's not like if you check all these categories and you seem like a great employee, great, great um, potential employee, it's, that's, that's not what makes everything click, right? There's a little bit of X factors and how people make those decisions on hiring. Maybe if you could tell us a little bit, yeah, about like what's, what makes it so hard to get a job or what makes the recruiting, pro- like the hiring, pro- like the, the job getting process. So, so how we, how we mentioned and difficult and top, top of the world. Yeah. So, um, so one, I think, you know, uh, the, the barrier, you know, um, has been great in regards to, um, just a lot of the ideation and right. Like innovation that's, that that's happened in birth in the yeah. area, which has led to a lot of, you know, really like, uh, you know, groundbreaking companies, right. That, you know, start as, as the small startups, maybe in a garage and, and become these, these huge, right. Like household names that we know. And, you know, because, you know, of the, the density of a lot of these like, uh, technology companies, right. Um, they were all clamoring for, you know, the, the same type of, you know, uh, same type of talent, right. Um, starting with, you know, kind of the, that technical talent, the, the engineering based talent. Uh, I think over time, right. Um, you know, we've started to see that, okay, you know, uh, companies have, also been been willing to you know establish kind of hubs in, in other major cities and so you know we're starting to see more and more uh, more and more like uh, I would say like st- grow, startup growth in, in new cities but with the Bay Area like you said still being kind of like that staple right and and uh, and you know kind of like where the density of the venture capitals are the fastest growing companies right uh, and you know I think the core part of the challenge of like why finding a job or why getting a job in the, in tech is really hard. Right. I'll say, you know, one thing that, um, you know, talent is talent can be everywhere. Right. But opportunities are not as, uh, are not as equally distributed Mm -hmm. everywhere. Right. And so there can be somewhat, so I'm today, uh, I'm from the Bay area, but today literally physically now I'm in, Dude, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, um, I can go on LinkedIn and, you know, I'll see one fourth the amount of, you know, uh, aligned opportunities for someone with my skill set in this area, right? As opposed to the Bay Area or maybe New York, right? Where a lot of these, you know, uh, companies are. And so, right, um, that presents challenges for, you know, someone to even want to apply or consider applying, right? And so, you know, there, there is, obviously, you know, kind of a benefit to being in close proximity to to where the density of, of the companies are, right? Um, I think we're seeing some of that force change now with the, yeah. the move to, to remote, right? But I would say, you know, that that's the first challenge is that like, the, the opportunities are, are, you know, densely, uh, you know, um, densely, you know, uh, in proximity uh-huh. to one another, but the talent is all over the place. Right. And so what started happening is talent started kind of moving closer to the Bay Area. Right. Um, which is kind of, you know, what caused the influx of right, like housing uh-huh. going up in San Francisco, you know, a, a lot yeah. of transplants <laughs> to that area. And that started happening in other cities like Austin, Portland. Right. Um, 
even Miami is, is working on, you know, creating their own startup hub, right? Um, and, you know, so, so that was the, the first challenge. Uh, the second is the, the startup world, right? The, the speed at which these companies yeah. grow um, is, and, and mature is vastly different Another from, thing. you know, where, from where, you know, the industries my parents worked in for 20, 30 years, yeah. right? And so of you know how can we grow from 10 employees to 100 to 500 in you know a three four year span that would have been yeah, yeah, that's right? insane <laughs> uh, right and so you know the idea of even like having a pension for example right like that's something like you know my parents and uncles and aunties like would have at, at their companies right like companies today are, are thinking okay in four year terms right maybe eight years for for some for some companies right and so for them that's already a lifetime and so stark contrast to right the the speed in which these companies are developing right um, and and also what they're demanding of uh, of the employee yeah. right um, to be a successful startup you really need a lot of right like uh, a lot of commitment from an employee because they're living and breathing right for that company's survival yeah, in the yeah, early yeah. days. Yeah, no, I mean, I think for, for, for me, and I so, mean, you know, I think the, our listeners would be super curious on, on, you know, how you got attracted to this career track, right? Like, I don't think there is a, a you know, uh, an undergrad or even graduate course on talent strategy, okay. talent management, right? Like, yep. why you personally got attracted to this, uh, this type sure. of event, especially this type of, if this type of vertical or function in the technology and startup world, like this is just like for sure, you, know, you don't go to college to, to do this job, right? So how did you just get attracted to this uh, you know, type of profession? Because this is something that, I, you, know, you know, everybody loves to hire. Everybody kind of loves to, you know, to, to basically like try to see and find their organization. But then, you know, you <laughs> definitely specialize in this. So it's, it's pretty amazing, right? So, uh, tell us more about your, your background and why 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 this role. So so I would say um, if I'm just like zooming out, the the very easy to tell differences, right? Large company, right? And I, I, maybe I'll classify and I'll say a company over a thousand employees, right? And and, and I, I'll actually you know maybe bucket this into the three groups, the the zero to zero to one hundred. Right, the mm. one hundred to to seven fifty or a thousand, and then also the the thousand and up, right? Um, and so, for the companies one thousand and higher, right, they're looking for um, they're looking for people who've already experienced particular scenarios you're going to encounter, right? And so, um, you know, having having that like industry you know veteran knowledge around certain problems you know is extremely important specialization becomes you know becomes key to scaling right and so i would say at those companies they're really you know there there's already a lot of defined process infrastructure and you know when they're looking for someone they're coming in for them to to, to really you know kind of um you know contribute in a particular way right uh, to, to meet their, their, their law, their, their scaling strategy, right. At the opposite yeah, end right. of the spectrum, right. Where you're zero to 50, you're one, you, I think you're looking for, for two things, right. You need flexibility, 
right? And so these companies are more willing to look at people with, you know, diverse backgrounds, right? Um, maybe a Jack or a Jill of, of you know, all trades because uh, literally you can work on anything and, you know, still be productive, right? Uh, but those companies really, you know, but, but those, co- those companies really need to, you know, start to learn how to, how to prioritize, right, to, to stay afloat. And, you know, I think the things that they really emphasize on uh, in the early stages are, okay, you know, um, the, the cultural ad, right, to, to the company, right? Are, are you aligning with the mm. values, right, um, that, you know, we hope to aspire to be early on, right? And do you have a mix of the skills and abilities that can help us get this concept proven, right? Uh, and concept or, or product to market, right? You're still developing kind of like, you know, your your ideal, you know, kind of like product fit, market fit, right? And, um, you know, you're still generating demand in that middle stage now, right? It's okay. You know, um, how do we, you know, how do we think creatively to build an infrastructure that will work for this company? Right. So it's not always taking what works for big companies and and applying it here. We need more flexibility than that. Right. But it it is helpful to know. So that's when you start to bring in, you know, kind of um, a, a mix of, right. Like, fresh talent who, uh, a mix of fresh talent who hasn't encountered these problems, who can look at it from like a, you know, kind sure. of lens, but then, you know, you, you mix it in with obviously some people who have, you know, uh, who are, who are just smart problem solvers who want to innovate in a particular area. And so that, that middle area wow. is the most challenging, I believe, because, you know, you are developing your brand. So you may be, you know, companies or people might hear about your company, right? And you may be expected to, you know, produce a quality, produce a service um, that can rival well-established brands, but you may not have as many people or resources internally to do that. And so, you know, you're trying to run lean and, right, like grow at a healthy pace while holding that, that, you know, kind of image for your product and for your company, you know, along the way to generating the revenue, the type of revenue and sustainability to, to get to, you know, to, to that next level. Yeah, man, you're really breaking it down. Like you're you're teaching it like as a science (laughs) to me, to me, it was just, uh, I thought like, uh, you know, just pick the best candidate, but it's really more of like thinking overall picture and, and picking like, you know, different, there's, there's more criteria than, than what meets. For the sure. And, and, you know, I, I would say, right. Like the, the earlier that someone is joining, right. Um, you know, kind of the, the communication and, and, and team chemistry, right. Is even more, more important because, you know, they're living and breathing and working alongside the, the core founding group, right. Every yeah. single day. Whereas at a larger company, right. The company could still succeed with maybe, you know, some some of those members of the team not interacting with each other all the time, right? And, and if they're working in their specific, right, like, uh, or they're they're acting in their their own swim lane, right? Like, um, you know, they may not have to have as much communication or as much like, you know, intimacy to to push a product over the you know uh, over the edge through like you know a particular challenge you're having. But in a small company, right, like, not having like someone who you can communicate with or that aligns with your values. Right, could demoralize you or you know kind of um, 
you know, create an environment, you know, where the team is not willing to work together to get through a problem and, and develop that resilience together. And that, you know, can crush a, a small startup really early on and stuff. Right. I think larger companies can get away with, with, uh, you know, not having, you know, kind of, uh, those that are willing to like, you know, be very collaborative and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and sure. invest in communicating with one another all the time. Whereas at an early company, it's, it's really, really important to surviving and, and then getting through that those first couple levels so you've had a wild career ride um you know you uh you you graduate college and you jump in and you got to, i read your you know um i guess you were, wrote a post about it but uh you, you mentioned how you worked for the golden state warriors and then you know you found yourself at google um instacart and, and lyft mm-hmm. uh i guess throughout your work within those different organizations being a recruiter or um, different, yeah, just wearing different things, but in recruiting, like, do you think that uh, there was like the same, I guess, approach to talent? Do you think it's that there were differences? I mean, just what do you make of everywhere you've been and like what? Uh... You know, uh, you, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, in the companies that I've been at, right? Um, I've been very fortunate to, you know, have been at close close to the ground level, right, for establishing how talent is looked at, right. But um, the idea, I think, is like to to really like sit side by side with, you know, kind of the the early members of the team, the founders, to think like, you know, I have an idea of how we can grow. Right. But what is also like the values and identity you want represented by your talent team. Right. So we can communicate that to to who we're looking for. Right. And we can make sure they're representing that here. And then you, and then you co-design together. Right. Um, I think at larger companies, you're stepping into a situation where that's already defined. And so they have that, you know, a lot of best practices. There's things that have that they've tried and have worked particularly for that company. And so you're more, you know, kind of learning to. Uh, succeed against process, um, you know, with that company's, you know, kind of like setup in mind. Whereas in the smaller stage startups, obviously you're defining what that is still. Um, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, something that I think, you know, uh, is consistent across all of those companies, right? And w- with regards to, to finding talent, right? Um, and being successful at it is how you arrive at decision making, right? And so, the, the companies that, you know, I think have hired really well, they trust their decision-making process. They are consistent with it, right? Um, and, you know, they take stances on uh, on particular items. Let me give you an example, right? Um, a, a stance might be, hey, if we have five people in a room who interviewed someone and, you know, um, four said yes, one said no, our stance is that the hiring manager will be the ultimate decision maker, right? Versus in another company where they have to have a like a, a full on unanimous kind of vote to get that person in, right? And the stance of in the first example of empowering that hiring manager to to make the decision, right? Um, you know that has you know effects in terms of the hiring manager building confidence, like them being the person to kind of take ownership of setting that person up successfully and feeling like they have a stake in building their team. Whereas sometimes other companies will, 
maybe remove that decision-making kind of like, uh, I don't want to say authority, but decision-making responsibility and place the responsibility on the system, right? And so uh, a company that might say, regardless of who's the hiring manager, if the system says this person scored X out of, you know, this number, right? Like eight out of 10 as an average of interviews, they get an offer, right? And so there's some companies who start to, you know, really rely on their system, right? And so, you know, uh, I think what's important is, you know, you can, you can build a company great each way, but you just have to take a stance and say, we're willing to live with this, right? Um, it's kind of like floating in that gray area too long and in, in where like, you know, you get disjointed processes, you get, you know, kind of, you start passing on people who could be great for you or you start, you know. Yeah, I have a question into that. Do you think that you, I mean, not necessarily you, but people you've worked with and recruiters just in general just have this, maybe sense of regret on passing on someone because they could have done the job just as good as this guy, but there was just, well, this guy got lucky or so, I don't know. Like there was well, something I think, you know, as a recruiter, <laughs> you have an instinct, you, you know, the, the better that you know your company and your hiring manager, let's think of recruiting as like a service type organization, right? You want to advise you are, you are providing a okay, service. Yeah. And so if my client is a hiring manager, right, let's, let's say it's you and you want to hire um, okay. a, a podcast host, right? Now, my, my job <laughs> sure. is, is to find you exactly who you're looking for, right? And so, you know, um, you may, you know, describe to me what exactly you want, and I have to do my best to find that person, right? And it's not only finding that talent, right? It's getting that talent to want to, you know, interview and, and, and be interested in the role, and then ultimately, right, like, pass the interview process as well. Right. And so all those three parts are, 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 you know, very different from one another. Right. So um, you could ideally find all the right people on the first attempt, but it not be the right time for yeah. them. And so you, it, over time and working with the hiring manager, right? Like I have a sixth sense of, okay, this is what I know Dan really likes in his co-hosts. Right. And so, right. Like, you know, um, I'm more calibrated for, for what you're looking for. And so like, if you may look for another co-host, for example, um, you know, I know where to look right away because I've, I've done the search for you, right? And so there's that period of like calibration early on, right? Where I, I might, might think that, uh -huh. hey, this represents what you're saying on paper, right? But then once you speak to the person, you know, things don't end up communication-wise or, you know, maybe their resume was was better than, was more well-written than, you know, kind of what their sure. role entailed, you know, at a previous company. And so, you know, I, I would say, yes, there are many times where great talent on is passed on <laughs> or overlooked, right? And the the challenge in, in being a recruiter is, okay, how do you, you know, how do you provide uh, your client with the specs they're looking for, right? But also, you know, still yeah, create a yeah. situation where, there's an opportunity for great talent to land on, you know, in, in your, in your proximity. Right. And, uh, and that's like one of the challenges that most companies have with like hiring diversely is, is, you know, do you, must you have X, Y, and Z on your resume or, or is it that, you know, you can have transferable skills that can lead you to be equally successful sure, at those things. Sure. Right. And so thinking stances on these things, yeah. right. Um, you know, can help, you know, kind of open up that pool, you know? 
I think to get into that and, and before we jump into something else, um, by diversity and inclusion, uh, I guess, what does that, or how is that perceived by the recruiter or someone in, you know, in your position? Is that like different, um, uh, I mean, in terms of background, is that in terms of like, what, what is that? Is that like uh, ethnicity wise? Is that like location wise? Is that, what is that like? School wise, <laughs> well, you know, um, and, and so, 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 I think you know, um, you know, we look at uh, well today like, at Curology, we look at it as like diversity, inclusion, and belonging, right? Um, and you know, for us, um, one of our core values as a company is inclusion mentality, which means you know, um, one like. Do we have a mindset to allow all great talent to find us and for us to give all great talent a fair and equal chance to succeed at our process, right? And, uh, and so, you know, how we design interview processes, how we um, select interviewers for a particular panel, right? Uh, and how we even do something as simple as post a job description. How, you know, yeah. how are, is that mentality reflected there, right? And so, um, you know, it, it's a challenge for all companies, right? Um, uh, you know, someone who I used to work with said that, uh, you know, the way to, to think about diversity, uh, inclusion and belonging is, you know, um, diversity is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, being, uh, being invited to, you know, the school dance or the school party, right? Um, inclusion is being asked <laughs> to dance during the party. Right. And belonging is like That's hearing your song. Great way to think about that stuff. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is my jam. Right. And so, uh, yeah, you know, and so how do you set up your systems, your processes, even like the values and, and, and how those values are being communicated to the general public to, to think about all those like three aspects? Yeah, that's, that's definitely very like clearing the things up. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't know that. You, you have a question, Earl? Yeah, I guess I guess Derek, the, the quick question, uh, a quick question here that I think a lot of uh, our audience are curious about, right? Because you know we're, we're doing the startup mindsets. What is the key difference for talent strategy from a large company, you know, bank or, or manufacturing, etc., to like a innovation technology company? Like what right. in, in your mind, like how different do you have to be to kind of manage? and strategize your talent pool for the next, let's say, one or two years? Yeah. Yeah, so I think early on in your in your job search, right, you have to establish for yourself, regardless of what, before even considering companies, like what are the important pillars at this stage of your career, mm. right? And so let's say that, okay, you know, um, my pillars are like, competitive compensation, um, you know, being able to step into uh, a first-time management role, um, having a manager that has groomed managers, groomed people to be managers, right? And then I want to work for a company with a product that I can use myself, right? And so you kind of set that as like your, your, your baseline for starting to, you know, filter out some of these opportunities that are out there, right? Um, I think, you know, 
most companies today, right, will also, you know, be very um, explicit about kind of like what their values are or their mission statement as a company that can also, you know, help you as well. Right. Um, and I think, you know, um, as you know, in your interview process and fielding, you know, kind of like different opportunities, you may not get all of those kind of like four pillars that you talk that I, I mentioned early, right? But it's like, are you willing to take two or three with the idea that eventually the other one will will develop or, or cultivate in a couple of years once that company has an opportunity to grow, right? Um, and, and so you know that's where you can make you know kind of you know I don't want to say concessions, right? But you know you make you know kind of like trade offs um, early on, you know, with the idea that okay, like if, if it's a growing company, it will get there. Right. Um, and you'll be part of creating that environment. And so um, for me, for example, right, um, I, I find it more, you know, uh, I, I like to control, have have a say in the environment that, you know, I'm creating. And so I think that's also why I prefer to go with, you know, more fast growing startups as opposed to, you know, kind of assimilating to a particular culture. Right. I want to be there to help construct it and 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 you know, bring in the, you know, the diverse group of individuals that I think will, will complement that, you know, um, as opposed to walking into something that's already pre-established, right? And so that's one of the pillars that I've chosen to, you know, to include in my searches. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, that, that's a really good answer. I, I think that, you know, that's uh, very insightful. Uh, what, what we could do now is like, I guess we could, or I just wanted to learn maybe a little bit more about like your time, um, within these companies uh i guess from your perspective what is it like scaling a well scaling maybe like something that was within that middle bracket of uh infrastructure Mm -hmm. where you're trying to get how you mentioned like a couple hundred new people in there um because uh i just don't know how to figure like how what is that is that like a process that just you have to force it to work out or what do you have to say? Like, is it like um, you were working with a budget and, you know, these interviewer, uh, these people who are applicants for the role, like, do you just uh, do what you said and take those four pillars approach and it just always works out or what's, what's kind of like the challenge there other than. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, um, first, right. Like, at the early stages, as I mentioned, there's more opportunity for those to wear multiple hats, right? Because it's a necessity. You may not have the budget to have full-fledged departments. And so, right, there you're learning a lot because you're you're making contributions to other work streams that may may not be your particular, you know, kind of like uh, expertise or discipline, right? Um, to help the company survive and get through an area. As you grow, you, you know, hopefully will be able to, you know, have dedicated budget, some resourcing to start to specialize a little bit, right? And I think you start to think about, okay, how do each of these functions start to, you know, uh, work cross-functionally with one another, right? And that's where, you know, kind of like designing, you know, uh, designing process infrastructure will will help out, right? Um, I think in in order to, to scale, you know, uh, you have to have, obviously a system that works for 10 versus a hundred versus a thousand. Right. And that you can have confidence that it's going to work the same way every time it's going to produce the same results. Right. And, uh, you know, and minimize kind of like, you know, 
the the opportunities for error, right? Um, and so, I think, you know, in, in thinking about that, right, the the first thing is okay, you know, um, understanding your team's, uh, I guess, benchmark productivity or capacity, right? And your and, and let's just say, okay, you know, um, we have two recruiters, and this year they recruited. 60 people between both of them, right? So you have an idea, okay, at, you know, kind of full max productivity, productivity, we can hire 60. But, you know, they also told you, hey, we're a little bit burnt out. And, you know, we also see that there were some errors in, um, you know, in kind of like uh, getting roles posted, things like that, that could have been fixed, right? So you start to look at these kind of, you know, smaller, smaller pockets in between and say, okay, you know, uh, what's a healthy, capacity for each one to produce maybe it's not 30 maybe it's it's more like 24 right and you say okay in order for us to grow to you know i think usually it's you know decided by um what is our main goal as a company is it to produce x amount of revenue is it to build x amount of products right the those hiring managers will start to to suggest right like okay this is how many people i need to build this this software or to build this program, right? We'll have a conversation with finance. They'll they'll more or less agree on a budget, right? To hire these people. And then then recruiting gets involved to say, hey, you know, is this realistic? This many people to hire for with the staff. Right. And then we'll say, okay, well, you know, realistically we can hire, you know, this percentage. If you want to do this, here's yeah. some other opportunities. We can bring in third parties. We can hire another recruiter. Right, um, you know, and also the, the timing of when you need these people is important too, right? Um, if it's dispersed over time, then you know we can you know we can take our time with certain roles, right? Versus if you need it all at once, well, then it's going to be much more difficult to to staff for right with, with fewer people without additional resources. And so, you know, there's the, the timing factor, right? Uh, as well as you know, kind of like. Um, you know, the, the prioritization and what these key roles mean to your product development, right? And so you start to define processes and capacity planning around that. Okay, well, you know, it looks like we're going to hire an extra 60 people, which means, you know, we could either hire two more recruiters and assume that all of them are going to produce 30 hires each, right? You know, or, you know, we can, we can say, hey, we want to focus on yeah, yeah. being more efficient. Maybe we can do it with three, but if we set up this process and this process to move a little faster, you may be able to, you know, improve your time to hire or time to fill by X amount of days, which will lead to, you know, more days to work on these roles, leading to you filling these roles at a faster pace, right? And so you can start to break those things down. And, um, you know, I think you will inevitably have things that, right? I think if you are not breaking your processes, you're probably not growing or failing enough, right? Uh, things are things are things are meant to break. We're we're experiencing it right now, and and so, you know, that's where right, like scaling is really hard, right? You know, um, I if I'm hiring ten people this year, I can probably give them my ultimate attention, right? I can wine and dine them. I can be on the phone with for them sure. like twenty four hours a day for a whole week, right? And and give them a great experience. But now I have to hire for, you know. 60 people well you know I, I might not be able to do that and still do all my other that's a good point yeah, that's, a, that's a good right? point so 
okay, what you know, what's essential to still giving that candidate right a, a great process to move them in the right time without losing them, right? Uh, and so you start to create kind of like standard operating procedures that you know will help you create some more predictability around your process, right? Um, and you know, so, <laughs> yeah, so no, I mean, for, for, for me, I mean, scale. You know, I think the our listeners would be super curious on on you know, how you got attracted to this career track, right? Like, I don't think wow, yeah. there is a, a you know, uh, an undergrad or even graduate course on talent strategy, talent management, right? Like, why you personally got attracted to this uh, this type of profession, especially this type of, if this type of vertical or function in the technology and startup world, like, this is just like, for sure, you know, you don't go to college to to do this job, right? So, how did you just get attracted to this, uh, you know, type of profession? Because this is something that I, you know, you know, everybody loves to hire. Everybody kind of loves to, you know, to to basically like try to see and find their organization. But then, you know, you definitely specialize in this, so it's it's pretty amazing, right? So, uh, tell us more about your your background and why 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 this role. Yeah, um, you know, so. Uh, Definitely to, to echo what you said, right? Um, when I was going to school, you know, I had no idea that recruiting was even an, you know, eligible career path, right? Um, I would say, um, you know, most recruiters that I know, if I asked them today, they would all say the same thing. You know, we, we all have our how you fell into recruiting kind of story, right? And so um, to answer your first question of how I fell into recruiting, um, you know, my, my first exposure to anything recruiting related was actually working um, with the Golden State Warriors in the marketing department. And uh, I had come into the, you know, the, the organization through an internship, right? And um, every year um, that I was there uh, and going from an intern to, you know, associate, um, you know, we would have new seasonal interns right for uh, for the summer and also for you know kind of the the actual nba season right and i personally was noticing some inconsistencies in where we were finding people um kind of the career paths that they wanted to take and you know uh and how we were keeping um the best people you know um with us for for future years and building on that and so um you know, I more or less at that time, uh, you know, I had a great relationship with with uh, my manager and, and asked if I could, you know, help take over portions of the, the campus recruiting or university recruiting. Right. And so we started to think about, OK, well, let's look at programs that have sports management and marketing. Right. So it's more pointed toward this exact organization. Right. Let's let's create a curriculum that everyone will go through consistently so we can measure them you know, fairly against one another. Right. And then, you know, we'll use that to, to figure out who's going to main who's going to be uh, an intern that gets to come back for the following season. Right. And so that was my, my first foray into to recruiting. Um, I didn't know I was recruiting at that time. I thought I was just helping to create a better process for keeping our team together. Uh, while I was in graduate school, you know, uh, I had a I had a classmate who worked at Google and said, "Hey, like you actually might be pretty good at staffing if you if you know that you know um, something you're interested in." Um, and so I kind of just looked into it. 
Um, you know, I applied for some roles, um, and you know, I, I didn't have recruiting on my resume, so it was it was difficult to get in. I, uh, I actually found my way into recruiting through a temp agency for a coordinator position, in which um, you know I found myself scheduling high volumes of interviews, right? And and my first year, I, I worked in somewhat of a hybrid role of uh, what we call a recruiting coordinator, uh, and I would say. You know, a very junior, uh, very junior like uh, sourcer, which is like a frontline recruiter. Uh, if you think of recruiting, hmm. we have full cycle recruiting. Full cycle recruiting is like finding the person, running, um, you know, working with them through the interview process, and then closing them, right? And really, really big companies um, who have who need a steady stream of applicants or leads will have sourcers. The sourcer's job yeah. is to attract you, uh, find you, uh, attract you, and get you into process and then hand you hand you off to someone who can close you, right? And so it becomes a little bit more of a well-oiled machine at, at larger companies. And and I was doing a hybrid of that sourcing and coordination, which, you know, um, you know I, I was doing as a, as a contractor at Google. Um, you know, through that, I was learning and seeing which candidates were making it through the interview process, right? Which hiring, what hiring managers were looking for just by seeing the resumes of the people who are making it to deep stages. Um, yeah. I have a question there, Derek. Derek, what, what, what were you seeing? Like, was it that they had, you know, the work experience prior or like what just, I don't know, want to, I don't want to like uh, influence your answer too much, but like, what, what, what do people see? Like, is it, what is it, man? Because it's a big giant mystery. I need to know. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I think I think one of one of, one of the most difficult things in recruiting, and you know, um, is that when you're applying for a job, right? You're not necessarily thinking of what exactly this hiring manager is wanting, right? You're thinking of what can this job do for me? I'm going to apply for it. <laughs> Right, and and so the the caveat is that hiring manager, right, is looking for a very exact profile with maybe some you know leeway and you know a, a few areas, right. But how do you bridge the gap between you know what they're looking for and like what's on your resume, right? Uh -huh. uh, sometimes you can never bridge that gap, right. And so the recruiter's mindset is to right like fill that exact need. Your mindset as as an applicant is how do I apply for all the opportunities that are most attractive to me, right? And so I think the difficulty is like, okay, how do I make myself aligned with the opportunities that are most attractive to me? And that could be with right, mm. the verbiage on my resume, you know, kind of, right, like um, emphasizing the transferable skills or process or problem-solving experience that I have relatable to this, right? And so, you know, uh, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that people have. And, and you know, uh, I happen to see all my <laughs> applications to Google. And once, you know, I had uh, an idea and I was working on the inside, I was like, oh, you know, I totally was not qualified for any of these roles that I applied for, right? But they sounded good. And they sounded like things I could do. But in reality, the hiring manager is looking for someone who's done it, right? I think there's more flexibility with, obviously, entry-level roles, right? And yeah. so understanding is this an uh an entry level role or is this a uh, uh an industry role right um you know that will 
you know, kind of help you temper your expectations of what a hiring manager is willing or not willing to flex on, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the entry level ones, right? Like they might just want someone who's really smart, or they might not, you know, mind if someone's overqualified, you know, as long as they can do this job or skill that can be trained on, right? Uh, and you know, the higher up you go, typically they're requiring a more specialized skill or particular exposure to some type of, you know, problem solving, right? Um, and they're not willing to 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 bend on that, right? And uh, and that's where you know you as a candidate just need to also be able to know, okay, like, you know, can you identify this role is a little bit of a stretch for me, you know? And so you temper your expectations. That I'm pretty sure not that many hiring managers will get back to me for these roles, right? And so, yeah, you know. Yeah, just a few more questions here, man. I know we've uh, gone gone into depth a lot. Um, uh, how has like the recruiting? I mean, you've been in recruiting for de- for a decade. How has recruiting changed within that decade? Um, just just give me your thoughts there. Like, is it more uh, more hard? The jobs become harder since there's like a hundred people you need to sift through. Is it that like uh, you just have to be more disciplined and really stick to that ideal, you know, like ideal person? Um, and then what is it also like managing people who make these decisions, dude? <laughs> um, so how has recruiting changed? Yeah, we could take this one by one. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, um, how we evaluate candidates, um, you know, uh, has definitely changed. Right. And, you know, I think, um, in regards to, you know, let, let's even say a resume, for example, right? You know, coming from an elite university, right? Like a, let's say, Princeton, Harvard, okay. or okay. Uh, Princeton, <laughs> MIT, right? Um, you know, uh, yes, for maybe for particular disciplines, maybe law or engineering, right? There's, there's a, an amazing, you know, kind of like prestige that comes with that, right? But um, there's other great universities who are also providing great curriculum outside of those focus areas, you know, and so a lot of, you know, these startups now, right, um, you know, having the university is, not, you know, is not doesn't weigh as much as it did in the, in the past, right? We're seeing a lot of people make it into engineering positions that have come from uh, an engineering boot camp, right? Um, a one, eight, one year, 18 month program on top of uh, a totally different degree, you know, right? Um, and I think companies are realizing that, okay, you know, what are what are the roles we should be willing to provide training and, you know, yeah. kind of early support <laughs> for, right? Versus, okay, what are the ones that really need a certain technical expertise at this stage, right? And so, you know, um, companies and, and, and hiring managers are, I think, being more flexible, right? With location, with, types of schooling right and it's more about performance on the interview you know right than what you have on paper now obviously what you have on paper needs to attract someone to look at you yeah. right but there are also a lot more ways to market yourself as a candidate right and so you know early on it's must have a resume right today it's Hey, must have likely a LinkedIn or an angel list or right um, beyond, you know, any other, you know, job network. Right. Um, you know, there's, you know, different ways that you can kind of like 
represent your work online. You can have your an online portfolio. You can have your own website. You can have, if you're an engineer, you can have a GitHub that has that shows your quality work, right? And you can easily see people in that network who may know you, who may not know you, who could refer you or you know vouch for your work, right? That you weren't able to do before, right? And also, you know, um, today we're interviewing accessibility, right? I, someone doesn't have to take a day off work if they can interview from, you know, the same place that, that they're sitting in right now. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that also creates more opportunity for, for, for folks. Um, you know, so I think how is recruiting changed? Definitely location strategy, right. I think being, you know, more open to, uh, to looking at trans, uh, I guess, um, you know, uh, transferable skills, that uh, and, and setting up process interview processes that really you know kind of assess for those skills as opposed to just seeing it on a resume right but it has to start with hiring managers you know communicating that to the recruiter that hey I'm willing to explore these areas right so let's not rule these people out until you know maybe wow. you have a conversation that's, with them that's right a lot that's changed man <laughs> uh, I know that's, that's that's really good I know we're kind of going to the the, the the end point here of our of our podcast so we typically end this podcast with three uh, distinct questions uh, and uh, the first question is uh, if you had to summarize your 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 own personal startup mindset, what would that be? Um, my startup mindset is, I would say, you know, um, is I'd say inspire your team to you know unleash their superpower, right? And so for me, I think mm. um, I'm someone who, you know, would rather swing and miss than, right, than say, than ask then myself, what if, go. right? And so <laughs> when I see an opportunity for someone to step up, right, I'll say, hey, like, you can take on this responsibility or let's try this or let's be really outlandish with this try, right? Um, you know, because, you know, you may not get that shot again. Uh, and so... I think, you know, it's, it's about, yeah, you know, um, inspiring people to unleash their superpower. And I, I truly believe that, like, yes, you want to establish great fundamentals, right, and, and learn as much as you can about, you know, an, an industry or a particular field. But when, when you look at, like, the greats, let's, let's use Steph Curry. I'm, I'm a Warriors fan, so let's use Steph Curry, right? Yeah, me too. He's not, you know, <laughs> here trying to improve his dunking skills. He knows what he's great at. He's a great shooter and playmaker. And so, you know, there's going to be a, a few key superpowers that really distinguish you. And so it's the second that you can tap into those, mm -hmm. right? Find an organization, find a manager, find a team that will help you to, you know, to, to really, you know, kind of like allow that to shine, right? And, you know, sometimes a company saying no to you is not a bad thing. You know, it, it might open it up for a better company who will actually let you to, to shine, mm -hmm. right? You know, <laughs> be there, right? And so, um, you know, um, I, I have a company on on my resume called, um, uh, it was called Criticism. It was, it was reacquired uh, and, and rebranded Aptelligent, but I was let go of that company, um, you know, in my first attempt to be head of talent. Right, uh, and I was really kind of like the first recruiter. Didn't really know so much, but I was taking a risk to to take on this role. And if I was never let go, and you know, kind of like 
been forced to really think about you know what i could have done better then i wouldn't have landed at instacart which you know um, is obviously right like uh i would say one of the highlights of my career um and uh and you know really got to you know uh to think about how to set up that that uh, point of my career successfully right from from what i learned there and so you know um yeah i would say like you know unleash your superpower whatever that is yeah. right 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 I, I love it i love it i think just to you know i think that that really speaks volume to kind of even your philosophy mm-hmm. on on betting on people right which is great the second second question which is my last question to you is um if you had to give advice uh, to your 20-year-old self uh, you know, to cultivate your own startup mindset, what would you, what would you tell you know, Derek, uh, 20 years old, yeah, uh, um, you know, knowing what you know, you know now? This is uh, the best advice that I've really you know, kind of um, you know, continued to point to. Uh, and and I, I still have to tell myself today. Um, at times, uh, because startups move at such a fast speed, you know, you, you, you feel like you've been at a company for four, eight years in just a one to two year span. Um, but the advice I got, uh, is from one of my, um, uh, one of my, uh, graduate school classmates. Um, and she said, uh, you know, Derek, your, your career is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And so, you know, there's things that only time will will allow you to learn, right? Um, you need to, you know, be patient to get exposure to things. It doesn't mean you should not open yourself up to opportunities or, or take risks, right? Um, you know, but, you know, uh, find moments to be patient in, right? Because, you know, really great things to develop require resilience and patience. Um, you know, and, and uh, definitely, I think, you know, and there were some cases in, in my early career where, you know, maybe I should have stuck it out just a little longer. Maybe I should have just let things, you know, fizzle out. And, you know, uh, I, I got impatient, right? Because um, I wanted to race to the top, right? And so, you know, I think understanding that, okay, you know, your current is a marathon, not a sprint, right? And you want to be able to make it to the end of that, that race standing, right? Um, you know, you know, that's that's something that I, I you know took to heart and has been you know something that I, I frequently share with you know um, any of my my team members. Great, Dan. You know, final final thoughts, final questions. It's been amazing just learning so much about how this whole system works. Never thought of it this way, and uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, if people want to learn about curology or if you maybe had last second tips on somebody getting a job or being a recruiter, what do you, I, I mean, what do you, what do you have to say there? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say the second that anyone, you know, recognizing it recognizes that a, a company, um, you know, has the values and, and opportunities um, that will, you know, enable them to grow or, you know, kind of align with, with what they're looking for and how they want to grow, make yourself as easily accessible to anyone at the company as possible, which could mean, right. Like being prepared for yeah. a meeting, right. To meet anyone, um, you know, willing to, willing Coffee to even, or something. you know, um, 
consider a role that well, yeah, yes, and willing to consider roles that maybe you're overqualified for, right? Because once you get in and can display yeah. your superpowers or your skills, right? If it's a great company that recognizes talent, they'll be able to put you in the right place, you know, sooner than later, right? And you know, um, it's all about just getting inside before you can, you know, make the changes that, that make lasting impact. And so, just just get your foot in the door, right? And to do that, you have to make yourself as easily accessible as possible. So that means having a presence on LinkedIn, right? Like tapping your network, you know, keeping your resume up to date, you know, checking in with opportunities, right? And when they come up, regardless if it's one that is not the exact role, right? You know, being there because that's an impression you can leave on them, right? Um, and so uh, that th- that would be a you know a piece of advice. Well, you know, hey, Dan and Earl, you guys, you guys are great. Um, it was awesome catching up with you guys. You know, uh, I'm excited to, uh, you know, to continue following the podcast. Um, we've had some some great guests already. Uh, you know, really, you know, uh, you know, honored that you guys, uh, you know, wanted uh, me to share some of my insights and journey, and, and hopefully, you know, the you know my my journey can help someone else. Uh, and, and you know, uh, yeah. Um, you want to learn more about curology uh, curology.com um, if you want to learn about the careers and opportunities curology.com forward slash careers uh, or add me on linkedin Derek Geladon. and um, yeah you know i'll do my best that does it for another episode of certain mindsets podcast thanks for listening if you guys have any suggestions or comments uh hit us up I'd love to chat uh just hit us up at um certain mindsets podcast on instagram um Yeah, this is Dan. Peace out.